Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 733 with Whitney Johnson. We got Whitney back because she is so chock full of insight and she is sharing how to keep the learning and growing flowing over the course of your whole career. So you'll learn one, the three phases of growth and how to master them. Two, how to get your brain to learn faster. And three, the tremendous power of ridiculously small goals. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP733. Now here's Whitney's story. Whitney Johnson is CEO of the tech-enabled talent development company Disruption Advisors, an Inc. 5000 fastest growing private company in America and one of the 50 leading business thinkers in the world as named by Thinkers 50. She's an award-winning author, a regular keynote speaker, and a frequent lecturer for Harvard Business School's Corporate Learning. A frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review and MIT Sloan Management Review, Johnson is author of several top-selling books, including Disrupt Yourself and Build an A-Team. Her latest book is Smart Growth, How to Grow Your People to Grow Your Company. She's also the host of the popular Disrupt Yourself podcast, whose guests have included Brene Brown, Simon Sinek, Susan Cain, and General Stanley McChrystal. Big thanks to Whitney for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. And now, here's Whitney. Whitney, thanks for joining us again on How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you for having me, Pete. Well, I'm excited to talk about your latest book here, Smart Growth. Can you tell us, you've been researching growth for a while. What's an interesting, maybe surprising or counterintuitive discovery you've made about that in the maybe years now since we spoke last? Yeah, so... That's an interesting question. The counterintuitive discovery that I've made, here's what I would say. I think that this book is important right now because of what's happening in the world. And, and so let me talk about that briefly, and then I can talk to you about the, the discovery I've made. So, so as we both know, we are coming out of the pandemic, we hope. And psychologists have said that when you come through a period of severe stress, which of course has been a very stressful period, there is this opportunity for people to undergo transformation, to 
do what's called post-traumatic growth. And so I think we're in this period right now where people are ready to grow. They want to grow. They aren't always sure exactly how to grow. And so this book that I've written, Smart Growth, is really addressing that question of here's, here's a template. Here's a simple visual model for you to think about what growth looks like. Now, to your specific question, yes, I've been thinking about growth for a while. I've talked about the S-curve, and we can talk more about this in detail. But the S-curve of learning in my other two books, but it was always in the background, kind of this supporting actor. And what I discovered is that as I taught people about this S-curve of learning, it was very sticky. They said, oh, this makes sense. This helps me explain what's happening in my career, what's happening in my life. And so I wanted to do a very deep dive in this book on what this framework is and how you can use it, how you can apply it, both as an individual for personal growth, to demystify the process to help you decode talent development if you're a manager. And then from an organizational perspective, just think about this notion of if you can grow your people, then you can grow your company. So that's what we do in this book is a deep, deep dive on what growth looks like using the S-curve of learning. All righty. Well, tell us then, what is the core thesis here or how would you go about defining smart growth? Yeah. So the core thesis is that growth is our default setting, as I just mentioned a moment ago, is that people very much want to grow. And then the question is, is, well, what does growth look like? What I have studied and researched is that the S-curve, and this is something that was popularized by Everett Rogers in, in the 50s and 60s, that he used to figure out how quickly social change might happen. And then we used it at our Disruptive Innovation Fund to help us figure out how quickly an innovation would be adopted. Um, I realized I had this aha that this S-curve that we were using to look at social change, to look at how groups change, could also help us understand how people change. Um, so every time you start something new, you are at the base of an S. And if everybody who's listening wants to take their finger and, and draw a picture from the left to right with your finger of just left to right, a line, a straight line, that's the base of the S. And whenever you start something new, the S-curve math tells you that it's going to feel like a slog. It's going to feel like it's going very, very slowly. And so you can get discouraged, overwhelmed, impatient, frustrated, all sorts of emotions that you will have. Um, but what's helpful about that is you now know, oh, this is very normal. I'm supposed to feel this way. I'm supposed to feel like I'm not making any progress. It's not that growth isn't happening. It's just that it it's not yet obvious or apparent. And so it feels slow. And so that's the first thing that you want to think about from this model perspective. Then take your finger and I want you to draw from the left to right, but I want you to do this swooping line like a wave. And this is the steep, sleek back of that S-curve. And what happens here, and we call this the sweet spot, this is that place where you've now put in the effort and the growth is starting to become apparent. And what took a lot of time to seem like anything was happening now in a little time, a lot happens. This is where it's hard, but not too hard. It's definitely easy, but it's not too easy. And so this is the sweet spot where you're exhilarated, all your neurons are firing, um, growth feels fast, and it is actually fast. And then what's going to happen for you, and I want you to draw again, was now you're at the top of the curve, and I want you to draw a straight line again from left to right. This is that top, this is that mastery portion of the curve. And what's happened here is that you have 
gotten very good at what you're doing. You're very capable. You're very competent. But because you're no longer learning, you're no longer enjoying the feel-good effects of learning, you can get bored. And so uh, growth now is, in fact, slow. So you've got slow at the launch point. You've got fast in the sweet spot. You've got slow in mastery. So slow, fast, slow is how you grow. And now you've got this mental model, this simple visual model for you to think about your career, for you to think about any role or project that you're on, and frankly, for you to think about your life. And so I wanted to give people this simple template to think about growth, because when you know where you are in your growth, then you know what's next. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate the finger movement. (laughs) We're in an auditory medium here, (laughs) and I drew it. And so just to remove any potential confusion. So this is sort of like a graph Mm -hmm. with the x-axis being time. Yes. And the y-axis being like skill or capability or how good you are at a thing. I love that. How good you are at a thing. Well said. And we might define that in any number of ways, like from, you know, pumping iron to making slides to building models to recruiting people to sales or any number of like skills or things one might master. Exactly. Exactly correct. Okay. And when we say S again, not to get too in the weeds here, I think if my S is kind of has a curve, but I guess that doesn't quite happen. It might look more like a slanted Z. Is that? Yeah. Okay That's to say. <laughs> yeah. You could also think of it as almost like a roller coaster, right? So you've got okay. the base of that roller coaster and then you've got that steep part. But in this case, you're going up the roller coaster, not down. And then you've got the flat part before you go on to another roller coaster. All right. And so then I think that sounds that sounds right from my own experience. Could you share with us a couple cool experiments or bits of research or measurement yeah. that reveals this? like pretty compellingly and quantitatively? Yeah, absolutely. So when we do our research, we're always looking at both the qualitative and the quantitative, um, but from a more quantitative research-based, one of the things that I did is looked at both biology and this idea of carrying capacity, but then also looked at the neuroscience around this. And so basically what's happening is that your brain is running a predictive model. So every time you start something new, pumping iron, like you said, learning how to build slides or give a presentation, your brain is at the launch point of that S-curve. And what's happening is it's running this model. It's making lots and lots of predictions, many of which are inaccurate. And because those predictions are inaccurate, your dopamine is going to drop, which is why when you start something new, it's hard to start because your dopamine is dropping. And we like Mm. that chemical messenger of delight. We like to get that. And when we're not getting that, that's why it's hard to start at the launch point. But then what happens is you continue to run that model. You continue to make predictions and your predictions will get increasingly accurate. And as your predictions get more accurate, what's happening is that you're getting more dopamine. You're having these upside emotional surprises, lots and lots of dopamine, which feels good. This is fun. This is exhilarating. Oh, this is, I love being on this this S-curve, going up the roller coaster, if you will. And then in mastery, what's going on in your brain is you've figured it out. Mm -hmm. The model is complete. It's like playing middle C on the piano or major C chord for those of you who are musicians. You're like, got it. And so what's happening now is that your brain is saying, well, I get a little bit of dopamine, but not very much. 
I'm a little bit bored. Mm-hmm. I need more dopamine. We're these thrill-seeking species. And so that's when you need to jump to the bottom of a new curve or find a way to push yourself back down into the sweet spot so that you can continue to get that dopamine. So that's one of the things that I really looked at is I had looked at the work of Rogers, the, all of the diffusion theory that really backs us up. But I wanted to look at what's going on with the neuroscience, what's going on with biology. And then, of course, I've got all the anecdotal qualitative stories. But the neuroscience very much backs up this idea of what growth looks like and what's happening in our brain. Mm -hmm. And so like, is there a, for quantitative neuroscience, I don't even know what the units are, like synapse connections or fMRI activation of, I don't even know (laughs) what units we're talking about. It's a great question. So one of the things that's happening is that First of all, when you start something new, you don't necessarily have a neural pathway for it, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got what you're doing today. So whatever it is you're doing today, you're basically at the top of an S-curve, and it's sort of like this super highway of habits. Like you've got this very thick neural pathway, and it's just super comfortable. It's like going down the road that you always go down every day. And when you get to the launch point of a new curve, whatever it is you're trying to do is basically like a cow path, right? There isn't anything there. Mm-hmm. And so there aren't there isn't a neural pathway. And so as so you're you're gonna do something, but it's certainly not a habit. It's not not who you are. It's sort of out here, separate from you. But as you start to do that more and more and you get the dopamine, it's forming those neural connections and creating those neural pathways so that it starts to become automatic and habitual. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so then in practice, let's look at these phases. We're at the beginning or launch point, as you call it, and we are frustrated. I'd love to get your thoughts on what should we do? We've had a couple researchers talking about motivation on the show, and there's some research suggesting that adherence to stuff is most linked to that stuff being enjoyable as opposed to it being important, which is kind of intuitive. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, hey, we do stuff we like doing, and we don't do stuff that we don't like doing as much, even though the unenjoyable thing might be pretty darn important. So if We've decided, yeah, this is an important thing I want to learn, I want to master, I want to get good at, but I am frustrated and overwhelmed and discouraged and not having fun. (laughs) Well, one thing is we know that that's normal. That's nice. Mm -hmm. What else should we do when we're in those unpleasant moments? Well, so are you talking about BJ Fogg's research? So we had Katie Milkman and uh, Eilat Fishbach, mm-hmm. okay. their research. Okay. Yeah. So I, I love that idea of celebration and being able to... So the research of BJ Fogg, I think, is really interesting um, and building on the two recent guests that you've had, including uh, Katie, who I, I, I love her work, is this idea of whenever emotions create habits. And so if you can enjoy something, then you're more likely to make it habitual. So one of the things you can do is when you're at the launch point, whenever you actually do the thing that you set out to do, you can celebrate. Good job. You did it, right? Mm -hmm. When you're in the sweet spot, you're doing the thing that you set out to do. You're pumping iron, you know, you're lifting weights. Um, You can say, good job. I'm doing what I said I was going to do. And then in mastery, you can say, I did it. Good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can use celebration at all different parts or points along that curve in order to cement or you know make that habit that you're trying to adopt concrete or whatever it is you're trying to learn that is new. Okay, cool. So celebration and any pro tips on celebrating well? Huh. 
That's a great question. I think, yeah, my pro tip is to write it in your journal. So write it down like I did this today. So something that we do every week in our family is at the end of, well, actually we do it every week, but then I try to do it every day is we go through the sweet, the sour, the spiritual and the surprise for the week. And I think one of the things that happens is that our brains tend to focus on the things that did not work. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's what makes us feel safer from an evolutionary perspective. So the pro tip is a very simple tip, which is focus on what worked, what went right. Did I, you know, if you remembered to uh, take out the trash because you have a goal to take out the trash every day, then say, hey, I did this thing that I said I was going to do today. Acknowledge it, anchor it, be aware of it, because then you're more likely to do it in the future. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. So there's celebration. Is that works for all three of those phases? Anything else you'd recommend, particularly for the early, not so fun part? Yes, absolutely. So I would say in the early, not so fun part, two things. Number one is sometimes we can get very impatient because it is so uncomfortable. We can just like, I just want to get through this. I just want to figure this out. I just want to close this open loop. This is so uncomfortable. And it's really important that we're patient in that stage because sometimes we make hasty decisions. We start to do something new, like we take a job that really wasn't the right job for us, or we take on a project that really wasn't the right project for us because we just wanted a job, any job will do, um, as opposed to spending that time to do the work, to figure out and be uncomfortable with not having a job for a little while. And so I would say in that launch point is recognize the importance of patience. The other thing that I would say is this goes to James Clear's work of, of the idea of atomic habits is when you're at the launch point, if you think about what's going on in your brain, you're running these predictive models, as I said, and a lot of your predictions are going to be incorrect. But if you can make predictions that you know will be accurate, then you're going to be able to speed yourself along that launch point faster. And the way you do that is you set small, ridiculously small goals. Uh And when I say ridiculously small, I mean... I had set a goal, for example, that I wanted to start playing the piano again. I didn't set a goal to play for 30 minutes a day. I didn't set a goal to play for 15 minutes a day. I set a goal to make sure I sat down at the piano for at least 10 seconds a day for 30 days. Mm -hmm. And guess what? I did it. Because 10 seconds is so ridiculously small, you can't not do it. And then you build in those neural pathways and you start that cow path slowly, then quickly can become a neural superhighway. You know, I love that ridiculously small bit. And it took me a while to like really believe. It's like, oh, well, 10 seconds sitting at the piano doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but I, I guess as I just think about it, it's like, hey, you know what? One is infinitely more than none. And you could say, well, hey, you know what? That might be nothing, but you know what? It is more than what I did before. And it's more than I have done for months, <laughs> even though I've been wanting and telling myself I should do this. And that gets you going. And I think BJ Fogg, again, we had him on the show and, and he says some great things associated about celebrating an infant to toddler's like first steps. It's like, oh, you didn't, you barely moved anywhere. <laughs> it's like, and you fell down after like less than two feet. That's lame. He didn't cover much ground. But nobody says that (laughs) about a kid learning how to walk. We celebrate like, yay, those are your first steps. It's a big deal. It's special. And that really resonates in terms of so it is when we're starting something new. Give us some more examples of ridiculously small and worth celebrating in a variety of domains. Yeah. 
I'm sure you've got boatloads of stories. So maybe let's hear a couple of those from the launch point in the ridiculously small through the sweet spot to mastery of folks learning, growing, tackling something new that made an impact in their career. Yeah. So one of them that I think is really relevant right now is health right? Taking care of yourself. And I was actually just on a call this morning with one of my coaching clients who is in this place where she is realizing, okay, I work very hard. I work lots and lots of hours. My steps on my Apple watch are probably a thousand a day. I need more steps on my watch. And she said, but I don't really want to, like, I know that I should, Mm -hmm. but I don't really want to. I just, I'm not, I don't feel motivated to do it. And so we had this conversation about, all right, let's, let's talk about ridiculously small goals. It might be that you literally look at your tennis shoes every day, like something that small, but I want you to come up with a goal that you can do every day, no matter what, for 30 days so that you can start to build that pathway. Now, why is that relevant to your career? Well, we all know that if we are exercising then our and our bodies are working, then we're able to get rid of the cortisol and the stress that comes with work. And if we're able to um, feel a greater sense of well-being, then we're going to be able to think more clearly. And if we can think more cr- clearly, then we're going to be more productive. And if we're more productive, we are much more likely to get that promotion and progress in or, along the S-curve of our current role and of our career. So that's something very, very simple that I would say is it really illustrates that idea for people. Well, that's fun. Look at your shoes for 10 seconds. I like that. If you really want to challenge yourself, you can touch the shoes for five seconds. <laughs> yes, you can. Like to, you can arrange those laces so they're closer to getting your feet into them. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. In the fitness zone. How about some more in the career zone? Yeah. So in the career zone, um, I would say one simple thing could be is that, for example, maybe that you need to give presentations, right? And if you want to be successful, not even maybe, if you want to be successful in your career, you will need to be able to give presentations and, and do that well. And so one of the things that you can do is you can say, all right, well, I get kind of uncomfortable when I need to give presentations. So I find myself avoiding those. And so a very simple thing that you can do is you can say, I am going to practice practice, um, sitting at my chair, standing up as if I own the room. In my brain, I'm going to think there is three feet in front of me, three feet to the side, three feet to the back, and I own the room and I'm going to stand there for five seconds. And I'm going to do that every day for 30 days. And that will start to change how you feel about yourself and your ability to have that presence that you need in order to give a presentation. Another simple thing that you can do, and this is going to sound very Stuart Smalley and and, um, and from Saturday Night Live, is you can say, I am successful in my role, in my job. I am successful Mm -hmm. every day for 30 days. And that will allow your brain, your identity to start to shift And as your identity starts to shift, because your subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between a truth and a lie, if you tell yourself every day for 30 days, I am successful in this role. I am, I am, I have, I have completed everything that I needed to complete in this role or that presentation that you're giving tomorrow, 
you're acting as if it were two days ago. I nailed that presentation. And you said that every day for 30 days, I nailed that presentation. Your brain will start to believe that it's true and it will make it true. Something you can say takes you, what, two seconds? Every day for 30 days, that is going to allow you to start to be successful in your career. You've got a presentation that you've got to do that you've been procrastinating and it's six weeks out. Well, for the first week, you don't have to work on it at all. But what I want you to do is I want you to open up your PowerPoint and um, look at the main slide on it every day for the first seven days. Just look at the main slide for the presentation. That's all you need to do. So you're priming your brain to start to make progress. So small, ridiculously small goals that you can do every single day and you have no excuse whatsoever. Um, And so anyway, those are a number of suggestions for you. Yeah, that is fun. It is fun to do something ridiculously small and to celebrate it, you know, in terms of, hey, I looked at that slide for 10 seconds and I checked that off the list, I win. That's right. And it feels good to have wins that quick and yet really are meaningful. I'd love to get your take on some of the affirmation type stuff that you shared there experientially and anecdotally. I've seen those are helpful. Can you share with us some of the coolest research you're aware of when it comes to that kind of affirmation stuff? I would be delighted to. So This is research I actually cite in Smart Growth, our next book, and it's research from psychologist Gregory Walton out of Stanford. And he describes these as psychologically precise interventions. And it's basically using your words to change how you think or feel. And what he found is that if you say something like, I am a voter, there is an 11 percentage point increase in voter turnout versus saying, I vote, Hmm. which is so powerful. So, for example, there's this one wonderful story that we tell in the book, a fellow by the name of Marcus Whitney, who he had dropped out of college and um, was now had two young children. He was living in an efficiency motel. He's working as a waiter for 12 hours a day and basically, you know, just scraping by. And he's like, I got to change. This is not working. And so he fortunately, when he was about 10 years old, his uncle had given him a computer. He'd learned a little bit of programming. So he said, I'm going to figure out how to program again. And so he would work for 11 hours or 12 hours, and he would spend four or five hours programming. He wants to get a job. He applies for hundreds of jobs, doesn't get them, finally gets them. But what he says that I think is so important, he says, it wasn't just about hard work. He said, I had to believe that I was a programmer because there wasn't a lot of evidence around me that this was in fact possible. Mm -hmm. So he did not say to himself, I am becoming a programmer. He said, I am a programmer. Yeah. But the word you said, so identity, that's huge. And I'm totally going to look up that study. That's so good. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. The word evidence is resonating because I don't know. It might might have been like Tony Robbins when I was a teenager. He was... (laughs) He was my idol when I was a yes. teenager. A weird fellow I was. And he talked about when you have beliefs, when you sort of list out reasons or evidence for them, that could be powerful and cement them. And I've actually done this exercise in different uh, shapes and flavors over the years as I find, uh, oh, here's a little zone of um, self-consciousness or lack of confidence. Let's take a look at some beliefs here. And then what is my evidence? And then sure enough, as I sort of like assemble it with examples in terms of it's like, oh, I accomplished this, and I did that, and I got praise for this. And even if it was three years ago, I got a compliment about this thing from someone for that. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, okay. I'm not just deluding myself, like saying nonsense things. 
like, I can fly. Um, <laughs> think about the key and peel sketch. You can literally fly. But so you've collected that evidence and as it grows, that gets pretty cool and exciting. As I think about the programmer example, I don't know if he did this, but that right there is like, well, hey, I programmed this thing. Nobody asked for it. Nobody paid for it. But by golly, it works and it does what it's supposed to do. Ergo, I am a programmer. Mm -hmm. And then that evidence just sort of mounts over time. It's like I've programmed a dozen things. Yeah. And you know, as you're saying that, I think it also makes a case for, I think, another important hack for us as we're trying to move along that S-curve is that when we're starting something new, we tend to make these lists of, I've got to get these 50,000 things done on any given day. Mm -hmm. And we start to get frustrated that we're not getting those 50,000 things done to move along the S-curve. But if we're willing to write down, well, what have I as I do it. So for example, I don't write down that I'm going to do a podcast episode. I write down once we're finished, I did like we did this. We had this conversation. Mm -hmm. I prepared for it. It went well. And so then your brain starts to feel this sense of efficacy. So again, this evidence of I can make, you know, a list of what I'm going to get done today. And I think this applies for anybody in their career. I have this list of what I want to get done. And or I also did these things that I wasn't expecting to do. I'm still going to check those off because those are evidence that in fact, you are being effective in your work. And oftentimes, as you're moving along an S-curve, it's not just about subject matter expertise. If you want to be successful in a role, it's all those things that you do along the curve that seem like they're interruptions. Mm -hmm. Someone wants to talk about this. Someone wants to collaborate on this. Someone needs your advice about that. All those things are what make you a leader and what make you successful in the role that you didn't plan for. But if you write them down, oh, I did this and then this and then this, then you can put together the subject matter that quantitative piece, if you will, the qualitative piece of that leadership, you put those together, you look at the list for their day and you realize, oh, I actually really am making progress along this S curve in this particular role. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Beautiful. And so, well, we've talked a lot about the first part just because it's hard and difficult. Can you give us your top do's and don'ts for making the most of the sweet spot and the mastery stages along the journey? Yeah. So the sweet spot is that part where things are hard, but not too hard anymore. And they're definitely easy, but not too easy. And you've got, again, all this exhilaration. And so you now that you've started, so it was hard, but now you've got this momentum. And in fact, it's almost impossible to stop. You've reached that tipping point and things are moving along really well. What's happening for you when you're in the sweet spot is that you're feeling this sense of competence. So self-determination theory, you're feeling a sense of autonomy, like I've, I've got this, I've got control over my destiny. And you're also feeling related to the people around you and to what it is you're trying to get done. What I would advise people when you're in the sweet spot for as an individual is the importance of being focused. So on the job, as you get very capable and get very competent, people are like, I'll have Pete do this. I'll have Pete do that. I'll have Pete do this other thing, et cetera. And so it's important to learn to say no so that you can focus and still build that momentum along the curve. And I would say for a manager who's looking at this is when you have people in the sweet spot who are very effective, it's easy to say, they're doing great. I'll leave them be. And we don't take the time to say, thank you. I acknowledge you. I see you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. So those are the, some things that I would think about in that sweet spot is the importance of focusing so that you don't get derailed. You can continue up that curve as well as making sure you focus on the people who are being effective in that role. And how about mastery? So in mastery, what's happening again in your brain is your brain is 
has figured out that predictive model and no longer getting a lot of dopamine. And so there are two things that you want to do when you're in mastery. Number one is you want to celebrate as we've been, we've, we've got a theme going here of celebration of saying, I did it. I completed this. I, I, and acknowledge the fact that you did it and be at the top of that mountain and observe all that you've been able to achieve and appreciate and what you've accomplished. And I think, you know, it's the end of a year. And so I think this is a good time to do that. The thing though, that about that place is it's also this place of, of poignance because on the one hand, mountain climbers know that you get to the top of a mountain, but any altitude above 26,000 feet is known as the death zone because you're so high up your brain and body, excuse me, your brain and body start to die. And it's also true for an individual. When you get to the top of that S curve, if you stay there too long, your brain and body will literally start to die. So there's this moment of celebration that you're here, but also realizing that you can't stay here too long. And so the advice for people when they are in mastery is that you've hit the top of that mountain, you have to keep climbing. And keep climbing may mean you jump to an entirely new S curve. It may mean you find a new assignment or challenge that pushes you back down in this sweet spot. But that plateau can become a precipice if you aren't willing to continue to find ways to grow and develop. Okay. Well, so I'm thinking about that. You know, a lot of folks feel that in their career. It's like, whatever you're doing, sales, project management, product development. You know, in some ways, there are endless intricacies and nuances to these domains that you could work on and become ever greater forever. But in other ways, there's a point of diminishing returns like, well, yeah, I've pretty much nailed all the basics and now it's really just like super finer points. So it's tricky to navigate in a career because in some ways, when you've mastered something, you can become very well compensated for that thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you're really excellent at this. So please do more of that and we'll pay you plenty because we need someone who's great at that and the value created economically is big as a result. And that could put you in a tough spot. It's like, well, yeah, I know, but this isn't really fun for me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you sort of mentioned that our choices are find something else to conquer or what are some other options here? Yeah. Well, how about if I give you a couple of real life examples oh, that will help illustrate this? So a company called Chatbooks, you may have heard of them. They turn Instagram photos into picture books. And it's a company where people like to work. It's got a really strong culture. They've worked very hard to build that culture. But because people like to work there, a lot of them were approaching mastery on the curve and sort of saying, what's next? And so what we did is we went into the company we administered our S-Curve Insight tool that allows you to see where you are on the curve. But what that does is not only show you where you are on the curve, but it now opens up a conversation. It gives you that vocabulary, that framework to talk about growth and opportunities. So three conversations took place as a consequence. And I think this gives people some script and some idea of what that can look like. So one conversation was the chief marketing officer now said, okay, I have this language. She was able to talk to the CEO and say, it's not that I don't love working in chapbooks. It's not that I don't love working with you. It's just that in terms of what I set out to accomplish here as chief marketing officer, I am at the top of my curve. And so they were able to, because they had that framework, because they had that vocabulary, it wasn't personal. And she made the decision, they collectively made the decision that she would go to a new curve as a chief marketing officer at another organization. So that's one potential outcome. Another potential outcome was 
the president of the organization, his roles and responsibilities were bumping up against the CEO's roles and responsibilities, kind of crowding him out on that curve. And so he felt like he was in mastery. This allowed them to have that conversation of, hey, if you could kind of move on CEO, or, yeah, CEO to other roles and responsibilities, that will clear the pathway for me. So I feel like I've got more headroom on this current curve. I don't want to change curves. I like being on this curve, but I need more headroom. So can we rescope roles and responsibilities? And then the third potential outcome is the chief technical officer, where he was at the top of the curve, likes it, wants to stay there, but let's give you some new projects that will effectively put you on the launch point of that curve so that by putting together the portfolio projects that you're on, it pushes you back down into the sweet spot. So those are three different things that can happen as you figure out you're in mastery and are trying to figure out pass forward. I'll give you one other example because I think this is very, will be very useful to your listeners. A few years ago, we interviewed Patrick Pichette, who was formerly the CFO at Google. And so when he was interviewed, he'd already been in an operations role. Um, he'd been the CFO at Bell Canada. And so it was like, I don't really want to do this. I'm not, like, when it comes to doing this, I'm at the top of my curve. So what he agreed with Eric Schmidt, who was a CEO at the time, was, all right, we're going to take this job. You're going to be the CFO and you'll do this for about 18 months. But at any moment when you feel like you're at the top of your curve and you start to feel like you're bored, you come talk to me and I'll put something more on your plate. And so that's how he went from being just a CFO to managing real estate, to managing people, to managing Google Fiber, et cetera, is knowing, having that conversation, that vocabulary to say, I'm at the top of my curve. I need something new because I want to work here and I want to work for you, but I need to stay challenged. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Well, Whitney, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about some of your favorite things? No, I think that's good. All right. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote so that you find inspiring? It's a quote from Brandon Sanderson, who's a fantasy author who I love. And he said, we each live thousands of lives for each day we become someone slightly different. And I love that idea how every single day we become a new person. We live many, many lives. We're on many different S curves. So I think that's a very powerful idea that every day we can become someone slightly different. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? So I shared with you already the favorite study, um, the Gregory Walton, um, Psychologically Precise Interventions. But there's another one that I think is really powerful, and I find myself recommending it a lot. Her name is Emma McAdam. We recently had her on the podcast. She's, um, she's a psychologist. And she did a YouTube video that talks about anxiety and, and really does a great job of explaining how we can get into these anxiety loops and how um, when we think, oh, I've got to do this thing and I'm really scared about it and nervous about it, we think, okay, I've just got to not do it because then I will feel better. She talks about how that's like basically a bear. And every time we avoid the bear, the bear is going to get bigger. So the thing that we feel like we can't do, we must do. And I think that's very powerful mm -hmm. um, research. I, I've recommended it. Well, I've certainly ingested it, but recommended it to family members, to clients. And it really is something that is resonating for people very powerfully because there's a lot of anxiety I think there always was, but I think there's even more as a consequence of the pandemic. Uh -huh. And how about a favorite book? 
So obviously, The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen, because that has inspired all my work. Um, Another book that's really um, influenced me recently is Anil Gupta's Backable. So we had them on the podcast, and maybe you have as well. Mm -hmm. It really influenced me. And I think from the standpoint of your listeners, is he talks about when you have an idea, you have to have conviction around your idea um, in order for you to be able to like you have to believe it. And I think that that is true for anybody who's on a job, wants to be better on their job, whether it's an idea, whether it's a promotion, you have to believe in it. And I think that was really powerful for me to read. And I think it's very useful for anybody who's listening and wants to make progress. Like you have to believe in you first, if anybody, if you want anybody else to believe in it you and your ideas. And then the fiction one is, um, I just read a book called Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patty Callahan. If you're a Narnia fan, it's basically fan fiction for C.S. Lewis. And it was just a delightful book. Mm -hmm. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Oh, I have lots of favorite tools. Well, one is Zoom. I really love Zoom. I love Rent the Runway because I do a lot of stuff on camera and it's nice and you can't wear something that you've worn a million times. So I like Rent the Runway. Let's see. I like Whoop which I've got on my mm-hmm. armband right now. Um, I love our S-Curve Insight tool. Obviously, I'm going to talk my own book. I love the Enneagram. I love Google Docs. And I love <laughs> Hint Water. That's a good listing. I've been intrigued by Whoop. I've got the Fitbit Charge 5, which works pretty well. But whenever I, I keep Googling stuff, that ends me lands me on Whoop's website. And it just seems like they really mean business <laughs> over at Woof. <laughs> they do. It's good. I, I've had it for about, I don't know, three or four months now. I really like it. Mm-hmm. And a favorite habit? So I would say favorite's hard. Getting up early. I think that's super important and very valuable in terms of being productive. Taking breaks is a habit that I most love. And having a standing desk, standing up, taking breaks, standing up. Yeah. And is there a key nugget you share that seems to connect and resonate? Folks quote back to you often? Yeah. So I would say um, companies don't disrupt. People do. The fundamental unit of growth is the individual. It's not failure that limits disruption. It's shame. And then the fourth, and this is the most recent, is it's not really the great resignation, but rather the great aspiration. Uh And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I would point them to two places. Number one is listen to the Disrupt Yourself podcast. And I was thinking about episodes that would be useful to your listeners. James Clear Habit Formation, which we talked about. They could listen to BJ Fogg, but they could listen to yours as well. Um, Jennifer Moss on burnout and um, Scott Miller on mentorship and then Lena Nair on disrupting inside of an organization. And then people, of course, can go to my website, smartgrowthbook.com. Mm-hmm. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I would say get out your finger or get out a piece of paper and a pen and draw that S-curve of learning. Plot out where you are right now. Um, Plot out where people on your team are. And then just know if you're at the launch point, you need to encourage yourself or encourage people around you. If you're in the sweet spot, stay focused. And if you're in the mastery, remember that it's not, if you're feeling this sense of crankiness or ennui, it's not the job. It's not even the people you work for. It's just that your brain needs a new challenge. All right, Whitney, thank you. This has been a treat. I I wish you much luck and fun in all of your growth adventures. Thank you very much, Pete. I love what Whitney had to say about the ridiculously small goals. And it's funny, I thought I knew and understood this. I had a love my conversation with BJ Fogg. Check out that episode if you're interested. 
and it devoured his whole book and was thinking, oh yeah, okay, tiny, tiny habits, you know, make them really small and then celebrate. That's cool. That's cool. But Whitney just took it <laughs> even farther, not just like, I'm going to put on my shoes and walk to the mailbox. Then, you know, we'll just see what happens. <laughs> no, I'm going to look at my shoes, not even touch my shoes. And I've actually been using that and I found it helpful in the zone of procrastination in terms of like I had a bunch of documents sent to me from UPS and I was like, oh, this is going to be a whole thing. Do I need to get a lawyer? Do I have to look at this? Is there going to be some spooky legal language that I don't want to deal with? So all my procrastination triggers were going here. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to open this envelope and look at the pages. <laughs> That's all I need to do. I will spend one minute opening the envelope and looking at the pages. Don't have to read language, just kind of see, oh, are there a lot of pages or are there little pages? Are they segmented with paper clips? <laughs> I'm just getting the very basic lay of the land. And sure enough, I stuck with it a little bit longer and I am now not so intimidated by this. So great stuff from Whitney. Ridiculously small and really push that to the extreme, like just looking at a thing as opposed to doing a few minutes of a thing. Shrink it so, so small when you're at that phase of the S-curve. Great stuff from Whitney. Again, the show notes and the transcript and the links to items that we've referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP733. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.